Nick Harrell's is a risk and pleasure, and Joshua Johnson, if you're making laugh, challenge your mind, and help you build foundation. This is the Dynasty Bowl, presented by the Dynasty Football Wear. Welcome, welcome back to the Dynasty Pulse. It's been since July 1st since we've been on, and uh, we thank you for uh, rejoining us. This is the Dynasty Pulse Podcast. I am Josh McNelson. With me, as always, is my co-host, Nick Hale, the Red Wagner. Nick, what is up live from Hawaii, bud? Yeah, not much, Josh. Doing great. Good to be back here with you. Not so good to be a Jason Gear Paul owner, though, right now. How are you doing today? Uh, I've been thinking ever since the news some wee joke I could make about nine fingers and I just can't I just can't it just doesn't come to me. Maybe maybe next week. Um but since you are uh officially a, a member of the state of Hawaii now I gotta ask you one really serious question. Have you run into uh Dog the Bounty Hunter and Beth yet? I think they're still out there, aren't they? I believe they're on a different island, though. I'm on Maui, and I think they're on a lot. Oh. So probably won't be uh, encountering okay. them anytime soon. All right. Well, that's that's good, I guess. I don't know. He's coming back on TV, though. So it's uh, <laughs> always always good stuff there. So uh, uh, like I said before, this is the Dynasty Pulse podcast. Uh, coming back through a week vacation for myself. Um, we have a great show lined up for you today. Uh, author Alex Kirby is going to be stopping by. Uh, he has written three books, one one about the Chip Kelly offense, uh, another one about the Auburn offense, and um, another book that's just coming out, uh, I believe, about the Super Bowl. I'm sure he will enlighten us on that as well. So he's going to be stopping by in about a half hour, and we're going to really gl- grill him on some uh, some things intricate offense, offensively-wise, so uh, offensively-wise, I should say. Talk about Trade Mason's trade value. I actually just made a trade for Trade Mason yesterday. We'll get into that, too, I'm sure. Uh, we're going to touch on the best number 20 in NFL history, the best to wear number 20 in NFL history. Um, and there is some certainly some good ones there. Got a dynasty dilemma for you today as you pick Chris Conley versus Devin Funches. Uh, of course, in Dynasty Trade Analysis, uh, we're going to do a little fringe IDP talk. Uh, a lot of guys here we're going to talk about that we've seen kind of go undrafted or go in the very late rounds of a draft, so uh, stay tuned for that. Um, got some analysis from that from some other some other DFW IDP guys coming coming to you for that, too, that we'll read for you. Uh, Nick is going to read, read grade my 16-team 16 16-team uh, 16 league team uh you know what i mean uh i graded your team in that same league last last time when you were not here so i expect you'll do the same for me and uh don't be and i expect you won't be nice either um i did say some nice things but i gave your team a b minus but i don't uh have any doubts that you will build some nice pieces around it in the coming years uh and that is a startup draft so uh interesting thing for both of us as we got into a, a 16 team league uh 
certainly certainly a lot different from the 12 team run. I'll tell you that much. Uh, of course, you need to know that, but yeah, certainly a lot different. Um, uh, just and coincidentally, another person from that 16 team league is going to be joining us next week. His name is Ron McLeese of Pigskin dot com. He also has a podcast that our buddy Burgundy was on a few months back. Uh, Ron's a a good a good social media friend of mine, so I'm looking forward to uh, chatting with him uh, on the show next week. He's gonna be he's gonna be on for a little bit next week, so we're happy to happy to have her on join us. Uh, we're gonna touch on the New Orleans Saints wide receiver core today, and we'll get to uh, some questions from the forum as well. But uh, before we get really going, let's just hear what uh, what DFW can do for you. DynastyFootballWarehouse.com is very excited to announce our Insider Membership. For just $29.99 per year, you get the Insider Membership plus our Rookie Draft Kit. Insider Membership itself is $24.99, just the Rookie Guide is $9.99. DFW is where Dynasty Football is a way of life. You can dominate your league for only $2 a month. Membership includes all access to Insider Articles, Dynasty, Redraft, Daily, IDP, which is over a thousand articles per year, up to three a day on average. Includes Dynasty expert rankings, updated monthly, average draft position data, 2015 projections, in-season weekly rankings and management, rookie draft room, and so, so much more. 24-7 access to DFW staff via email for roster management advice, trades, drafts, rebuilds, waivers, Commission assistance advice for bylaws, scoring, and setup on new leagues on MLF. The 2015 Rookie Guide is $10 a la carte or $5 when bundled with the Insider Membership with the PDL emailed to you. Expanded in 2015 to include more players, the Top 10 IDP, all crisply summarized with keynotes on every player and their background, main stats, strengths, weaknesses, and key college stats. 143 skill position, 106-page PDF, 41,000 words of rookie insight, plus 100 hours of research analyzed and boiled down for your NFL draft day enjoyment. Combines all recaps from skill positions at the combine, includes guide along updates after the NFL draft, adjustments made through training camp and preseason. All three membership options will get you entered into the multiple DFW contests and giveaways. Each will enter you into a, a raffle for a brand new iPod, which will be given away at, during halftime of Super Bowl 50 via third-party security raffle. You will get entry into DFW Week 1 Free Roll Tournament on FanDuel or DraftKings, where you, the winner will receive $200. You will also gain entry into the DFW Survivor Contest, where... Over the course of the 2015 season, the last team standing will also receive $200. Again, very excited to introduce the DFW Insider Membership, just $30 a year. Great investment there. Uh, if you're not a member yet, uh, I would, would highly suggest it because uh, the level of articles we are cranking out is just just amazing. And uh, you know, we're getting two or three out per day, and they're just all great inside looks, inside scopes, and pers- you know, players and uh, of the personnel around them. Just just we're doing great work this summer, and it's so fun to fun to read and 
realizing when I'm reading it that I'm a part of this great site. Just so awesome. Uh, another thing we want to remind everybody about uh, is Alan Satterley's uh, speed bump contest that's currently going every day. There's a there's a a poll, a uh, multiple choice poll that you can uh, bet on to see who's going to have uh, the best season this year. So uh, pretty pretty hard odds to uh, to win that, but the person that gets the most right is going to get a little money back. So make sure you. Uh, Check that out, and you can look at that totally free. You do not have to be a DFW member, but uh, you can go in there and vote on that for totally free. So make sure you check that out. Um, yesterday, too, another great thing that we are already doing is uh, Bruce Kimbrough, one of our RDP guys, uh, and our mock draft monarch, if you will, uh, took a look at the 2016 Defensive Lineman Cup coming in the draft, and he's going to be going on to the linebackers and DPs as well in the coming weeks. So uh, we're already ahead of the game from 2016, which is pretty darn awesome. Uh, recent news, in case you haven't heard, uh, Justin Houston did re-sign today with Kansas City, six years, $101 million, I believe. I'm not sure what the guaranteed money was. Uh, and then uh, Dez and the Cowboys are still uh, at a standstill. Sounds like there's at least somewhere between 12.8 and $13 million per year on the table. With that, so I'm sure we'll have more news at the end of the day on that. So we'll try to keep posted if something happens during this podcast. Um, and if you're not listening to it live, I'm sorry. So it'll be, it'll be old news to you by then. But uh, that's all right. Uh, Nick, what is fair trade value for Mr. Trey Mason? Obviously, he's a he's a backup running back for uh, you know lack of a better term right now for the future, even if he's starter for the first month or so in St. Louis, but uh, what what is fair trade value for Mr. Trey Mason right now? What do you think? Well, this is kind of a tough call. You know, I really loved him coming out of Auburn last year, but St. Louis drafting Todd Gurley pretty much destroyed his perceived value. Uh, He's currently DFW's running back number 35. Uh, He's being drafted around the 10th round in startups. I would guess that most people trading for him right now are probably Todd Gurley owners that are worried about his health, so that's the angle I kind of approach this from. So if I was a Gurley owner, some guys who... uh, some players whose ADP is higher than uh, Mason's right now who I'd have no problem moving for him. Uh, you look at a couple quarterbacks, older guys like uh, Peyton Manning and Drew Brees provide you have a solid younger option, of course. Uh, a few receivers like Percy Harvin, Victor Cruz, Jalen Strong, or some of the tight ends going ahead of him like Max Williams, Jordan Cameron, Ju- even Julius Thomas. I'd have no problem moving any of those guys for Mason right now, especially if I was a girly owner. Yeah, I... Uh... I've tried, not not tried like hell, but I've certainly tried over the last month or so to uh, sell Mason to a girly owner. And I, and I wasn't, I don't think I was asking for too much. You know, I was even tried to package him with Julius Thomas here and there. And a few picks just to get a couple of younger players in return because this team that I have them on in DFW 36 is certainly a rebuilding team. So if I can get a little bit younger, I got no problem doing that. I got no problem trading Julius Thomas for, for a younger tight end. Uh, just because I think, you know, the situation with him right now is a little murky, even though I own him in another league uh, and uh, Jacksonville. And, you know, a lot of people just don't know uh, what to expect there. Um, but uh, I, I could not ultimately could not sell Mason to a girly owner. Um, there's, this is a league where there's three copies of each player. So I had a couple shots at it. One of the guys already owned Mason that draft. So, that's good for him. Um, and a couple other guys, I, tr- I tried to pry uh, Justin Hardy, who's somebody that I 
I have in all of my dynasty leagues, all of my dynasty teams except for that league. So I figured, oh, why not just double dip or, you know, a triple dip or whatever you want to say. And I just could not do it. I even tried to throw in some some, some old later round draft picks because I have several. Um, now, this this draft is uh, a little bit different. It's seven rounds, but after after round five, the last two rounds, you can also draft current um, uh, free agents in that league. So you can draft veterans as well, you know, guys like, Greg Hardy, D'Angelo Williams, guys like Josh Hill, guys like that were available in this. Uh, those were the hot commodities come round six of this draft this year. Uh, but ultimately, I did trade trade Mason to Mr. Burgundy, and uh, it may sound like I I overpaid because I I gave him Mason, Julius Thomas, a fifth round pick, which I have three of, and a sixth round pick as well, which I had I had two of. Uh, and I got uh, Andre Williams, who a guy that I really believe in, and uh, happy to announce that Bill Servi also believes in him, so that makes me feel a little bit better about my beliefs. Um, and I also got Eric. So I know I'm kind of painting myself in the corner with a lot of young tight ends, having Ebron, uh, Troy Nicholas. I have Andrew Corliss, who's probably not going to make my team come, come roster cut time, and I also have Michael Rose in Minnesota, so... Not a lot of tight ends that's going to scare anybody, but I like the fact that I have youth, and I think Ebron's going to be a better player. Plan on using him week one. So that's what I got back for him. I'm happy that I got a guy with Williams who certainly, you know, for for lack of a better term, is the future running back there. You know, it's not – Navarine's a nice piece. William, um, Rashad Jennings is, is a veteran, but I think Williams is going to be the guy, and I think he's going to be the goal line guy this year too. Uh, you know, and next next year, if he's their RB one, I think anybody's gonna be surprised. So happy, ha- happy I was able to flip Mason. Who, you know, let's face it, you know, he could, you know, if he's if he does really good in in a short time, I, I wouldn't put it past St. Louis to to trade him somewhere else, and he could be a starting running back somewhere else. But uh, as for now, I think they want to hold on to to both Mason and Gurley, and just have a nice a nice one two punch. You know, they want to have. Mason there in case Gurley gets hurt, uh, you know, per- perish the thought, but uh, he, does, he is coming off that ACL. But they want to have Mason there to, you know, make sure that they can keep their their running game intact if Gurley gets hurt. And there's a lot of teams out there that are making that main focus to have two really good running backs. Um, you know, whether you consider them good or not, it's, it's you want to be uh, – you want to be prepared, so uh, I th- I guess I thought that was ter- fair value. What do you what do you think? Nick? Yeah, I mean, you may have overpaid a little bit, but like you said, there are two guys that you're really high on in Ebron and Williams. So, you know, as long as you're really confident in those two players, I think it's a decent trade. Yeah, and like I said, I somehow had a whole bunch of picks, you know, in in DFW 36, but there's three copies of each player. You know, there's still copies, still three copies or two copies of that player that you want available when it's your time to draft. Yeah. trade down and I kind of took that to the next level and I kind of gained all these extra picks here and there and uh, been trying to move some pieces to get rid of some rosters, get rid of some of my rosters so I can cut down to uh, 45 before the season starts. Right now I have 55 guys, which is the max that we can have during the offseason. So I'm going to have to cut 10 players. So I've traded a player here, traded a player there and got a few more picks for next year. So it's just, yeah, you know, it's something like I'm going to use those picks. My plan is to hopefully, like I did in this trade, use use those picks to send the trade uh, over and ultimately make it happen for myself. So, uh, pretty uh, pretty good discussion there. 
in the Trey Mason. I, I would love to hear some other people's thoughts. So if you want to tweet me or Nick about uh, what you've got for Mason or what uh, what you think you should be able to get for him, I, we would love to hear from you. I'm Josh underscore DFW Pulse, and uh, Nick is Nick underscore DFW Pulse on Twitter. So tweet us. Tweet us out. We'd love to hear your thoughts. Uh, moving forward, we have a dynasty title I'm going to get to. Um, Got a couple of rookies on tap here for you as we pick Chris Conley versus Devin Funches. It was Nick's turn to go first, so I will let him uh, do the honors after the uh, lose a short clip today. Uh, let's do this. If you want to crown them, then crown their ass. But they are who we thought they were, and we let them off the hook. <sighs> that one never gets old. No, does it? Know what, I mean? you know what I mean, Nick? Just never gets old. Um. Here's another one that I know you love. Back in 82, I used to be able to throw a pitch in four miles. Are you serious? I'm dead serious. <laughs> uh, all right. What do you got for us on Devin Funches? Yeah, those are a couple great clips. But anyway, uh, Devin Funches versus Chris Conley. Well, we'll start looking at the quarterback there in Kansas City. Alex Smith, the very name brings shivers to the owners of wide receivers. <laughs> guy threw 18 passes, touchdown passes last year, zero of them to wide receivers. Dwayne Bowe was his leading receiver, got 750 yards. No other receiver did, well, anything. Now Jeremy Macklin is going to be the clear-cut number one, and the hype around tight end Travis Kelsey, who had 862 receiving yards last year, is just through the roof. Jamal Charles is decent out of the backfield, so what's going to be left for Conley? Just pretty much some table scraps. You know, Conley has three to four solid fantasy performers in performances as a rookie. That, If that, you know, I think he's going to be the fourth best option at best on a conservative team. And he didn't light up the stat sheet in college either. He never had a 700-yard season at Georgia in four years. Uh, so to me, I kind of have to wonder if he's a little bit of a workout warrior. It was a big showing at the combine. Whereas seven punches, I believe, is in a good situation there in Carolina. D'Angelo Williams gone. You know Jonathan Stewart's going to get hurt at some point. So even though Cam Newton's number of passes has dropped every year, I believe that trend will reverse itself this year. Uh, the biggest knock on Cam Newton is that he overthrows his receivers, so in theory, punches his full, uh, six foot four inch frame should negate that to some extent. Everybody got scared by his 4-7 time uh, in the 40 at the combine, but he actually ran a sub 4-5 in his pro day, so I think he is fast enough. And more importantly, He's going to be the number three option in the passing game compared to Conley being the number four option in a more potent passing attack in Kansas City from a fantasy perspective anyway. You know, give me the football player over the combine here. What do you think, Josh? Uh, I was prepared for you to dig on the Alex Smith angle, so don't worry about it, Josh. Um, well, in redrafts, obviously, Funches uh, certainly seems like the better pick. Even though both players are going to see probably this probably the same amount of snaps, uh, both are in both uh, they should both see many snaps this season. But this is a dynasty dilemma, so let's look at it from the dynasty angle. Um, they both also possess the athletic skill set that can make their quarterbacks look good. Um, they both just have great great range, and we'll get to more of that there. Obviously, Conley was the star of the combine, all of Stephen Hill, but not putting him in good terms by any means. Uh, furthermore, Funches entered the draft a lot of entry, but certainly more question marks. You know, is he, is he soft? You know, blah blah blah. You know, his hands are questionable. Uh, I don't think anybody's questioned Chris Conley's hands. Everybody's more questioning uh, the situation. And he came from a, a rush, rush first college scheme. 
you kind of go into a, a, a unique NFL system, we will say. Um, both of these guys have an amazing catch radius that can, and they can also elevate. They could even elevate a guy like Tim Tebow. Um, uh, rumor has it uh, they could even elevate uh, Tony Banks into the Pro Bowl if he had two wide receivers like this. Uh, but uh, that's our Tony Banks talk today. Uh, Conley would destroy the stiff-hipped Funches in one-on-one in just about any sport. Funches is tall and athletic, but he might and he might even have a better rookie season than Conley. But Conley is an inhuman athlete. He has Inspector Gadget-like abilities. I. I know the Alex Smith thing is a dank stain on wide receivers and, let's face it, humanity. Uh, but this, and this I fully understand. But having uh, Dury Macklin and Conley is a huge upgrade from having Dwayne Bowe. I know you know who Dwayne Bowe is, but listen to the rest of these schmucks. Dwayne Bowe. So during, having Jeremy Macklin and Chris Conley is certainly an upgrade from having Dwayne Bowe, Albert Wilson. Junior Hemingway, A.J. Jenkins, Frankie Hammond, and Donnie Flippin' Avery. I mean, that, that's let's face it, that is an upgrade. Even though Conley is unproven and he didn't, you know, didn't do a whole lot in college, that is an upgrade from those those that pile of whatever you want to say. Conley will blow people away with his work ethic and his athleticism and enthusiasm to block. Um, most people will cautious, cautiously remind us that Funchest is raw, and by that they mean soft or tender. Um, he's built like a tight end, but he doesn't seem to have the guts to actually play tight end, which is why he's n- not there right now in the NFL. Conley could excel at probably 75% of the f- positions on a football field. You know, obviously not the line, but I think he could play linebacker, I think play DB, I think you could play quarterback, I think you could play running back. And that's just that's just the athlete to me. You know, you see these guys get drafted into college as an athlete without a position. That's kind of what I feel like Conley. Obviously he's gonna be a wide receiver, but I think they could do so much with him. He can play all three wide receiver positions and him and Macklin are gonna play off play off each other well. Um in fact, what are Conley's question marks besides the situations that he's been in. I don't I don't hear too many people say bad things about him, you know. You could say the workout warrior, but nobody else says much after that. Uh Andy Reid and company traded up to get this guy in the draft, so I think they're gonna use this kid. They're gonna use the bleep out of him. So I'm gonna take Conley. I understand Funches this year could light the light the, the league on fire just like Calvin Benjamin did last year. But I think long-term, I definitely want Conley. Now, Nick, how did you uh, cautiously approach this as a uh, Conley owner yourself? Well, I got Conley pretty late in the uh, – I believe he was in the fifth round. I couldn't believe he slipped that far. So, you know, with that kind of value, I definitely had no problem taking Conley. But another reason I like Funches is, uh, you know, Greg Olson's not getting any younger there in Carolina. So there's a chance where, say, three, four years down the road, they could draft another young receiver, move uh, Funches to tight end, where I believe he would be one of the top receiving tight ends in the NFL. Uh, he's going to have to figure out how to play the position first. But uh, uh, any other rebuttal there? Uh, no, I think that was about it. Okay. Um, you know, people, we, obviously the stat about the Kansas City ride receivers not catching a touchdown pass last year has been uh, 
quite the buzz this year in all, in all football communities. But Kansas City is actually home to more a more impressive stat. Um, I'm not sure if you knew this, and I and I had to look it up to get the full specs on it. But Kansas City, the Kansas City Chiefs have not drafted a quarterback and have him win a game with their franchise since 1987. They have not drafted a quarterback and had him win one game. Jamarcus Russell won like six games with Oakland. In fact, they haven't had listen, – listen, listen to this. Since from 1984 to 2013, the Atlanta Falcons have 387 wins from their drafted quarterbacks. The, that's the top. Um, the second lowest from ni- from 1984 again from 1984 to 2013. The Buffalo Bills have 45 wins from their drafted quarterbacks. You know how many Kansas City has from 84 to 2013, Nick? They got their last one in 87. Two. They have two wins since 1984 from their drafted quarterbacks, and the last one came in 1987. Now that blows their what happened last year, out of the water. I mean, think of the Yutzes that have won games. Blaine Gabbert. <laughs> They've done more than the Kansas City organization has since 1987. That's just wild to me. Um, but, uh, yeah, even more impressive stats there. That's what we give to you here at the Dynasty Pulse. Um, let's get to some Dynasty trade announcements. Now, we might not get to all of them before Alex calls in, but uh, let's start out with the first one here, Nick. Um Calvin Johnson on the move. Uh, he's been an interesting person this offseason, but uh, this is from DFW 36. Calvin Johnson was traded. Uh, uh, he, the owner that got him, or traded him received Kevin White and a 2016 first-round pick in return. What are your thoughts there, Nick? Uh, I think this trade is about as even as it gets. You know, obviously the uh, prior Calvin Johnson owner wanted to get younger, which he did, getting uh, – probably the second best receiver in this year's draft class plus an extra first round pick for next year and the person who acquired calvin johnson probably is in a win now mode so obviously megatron's going to help you a lot more this year probably than the rookie kevin white so i think it's perfect trade all around uh yeah it's some people in the league did not think that way but um um uh i think it's a pretty fair deal i mean you know, Calvin, you know, he's had a couple down years. He's been dinged up here and there. And, uh, you know, if he has a 1,000 yards this year, you know, people are going to be kind of poo-pooing him or whatever. But I don't think anybody's going to be surprised if the guy goes out and has 1,700 yards this year. I mean, he's he's one of those guys that he's not, you know, he's not ancient. He still, he still I think, has a lot of life left in his legs. And from all all signs coming out of training or training camp or OTAC is actually fully healthy. I, I was looking at that the other day. So that's, that's, a, that's an amazing thing. And that could be, that could mean huge things for this team. If he's fully healthy for a full 16 game play, that's just, that opens up this offense incredibly. And of course, hopefully it opens it up for my guy, uh, Eric Ebron. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I don't. I don't hate this trade. I mean, the guy, the guy got Kevin White, who was first, you know, a high first round pick uh, this year, and now he's potentially getting another Kelvin, Kelvin, excuse me, another Kevin White type of player next year. Uh, you know, even if it is a later first round pick. So, uh, um, 
Yeah, I don't, I don't think it was a bad trade. Some people reacted quite harshly to it, but I, I think it was pretty fair. Um, now you don't own you don't own Calvin in a, in a dynasty league, do you, Nick? Uh, no, I do not. Oh, that's right. Okay. Our other startup last year, you and AJ, because Calvin went first. That's right. So, um, yeah. I mean, I mean, just I mean, put the putting the shoe on a on your foot, Nick. There would you? I mean, obviously, you think it's pretty fair, and if you're in the rebuilding mode, you would probably you'd probably accept this deal if you were a Calvin owner. Yeah, you know, as long as I was in rebuilding mode. If I thought I had a chance to win it all this year, I probably would have just stuck with Calvin Johnson. But if rebuilding, yeah, definitely take the two younger guys. Uh, now, as uh, as a podcaster, obviously, um, one of my many talents, but uh, I also, and especially since I, we haven't done a podcast for two weeks, I, I listen to a lot of podcasts. And one one thing I've heard over and over again, and I went I went back and even listened to some ones from June and from May. Um, you know, heard the her fantasy football girls, uh, uh, Rummy Rummy and Ray uh, football podcast. Uh, love those guys. I remember Johnny and Ray, Raymond Summerlin. Um, one one thing that's been repeated over and over again about Kevin White is John Fox does not play rookies. He hates rookies. Now, obviously, they took this guy high. I think they're going to play him, but that's certainly uh, something to uh, to consider. You know, if this guy starts out really slow or you know disappears, like Elshon Jeffrey has an extremely quiet rookie season. You know, and, and if that owner's getting a little itchy on him, I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't. Uh, be averse to uh, maybe going after Mr. White there in a the trade. So uh, uh, just keep that in mind. You know, if like if, like I said, if White starts out slow, I I own him in a lot of leagues. Uh, just because I'm I got fortunate enough to get him or had a bad team last year. So uh, just keep that in mind and uh, don't uh, send any trade offers to me because I'm not getting rid of So uh, that was a dynasty trade analysis. We'll get to some more of that after uh, we talk with Alex. But I got Alex Kirby on the line. Alex, are you there? Hey, how are you? Good, good. As author Alex Kirby, uh, you're on the Dynasty Pulse podcast with uh, Nick and Josh. Um, well, obviously, you're more than just an author. Why don't you just uh, fill us in on maybe some of uh, your background in in, uh, in the football world and how you how you came to be and write some of these these um, these amazing books. Well, first of all, thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. Uh, well, just the, the short version is, you know, I started uh, coaching at my alma mater, Ben Davis High School in Indianapolis, uh, several years back. And I was there for four or five years. And uh, then I moved on and, and got kind of a, a intern position at Indiana State University. Uh, I was there for three years, served as the video coordinator as well as working on both sides of the ball. Uh, got a chance to work on the defensive side of the ball for the first time in my career, which was a huge learning experience. And I uh, got to see the game from a whole different perspective. Uh, but unfortunately, the, the thing about being a young guy in, on a lot of football staffs is that, uh, you know, you do you do a lot of the work, which is great because you get to learn a lot, uh, and you get to develop your own opinions. But unfortunately, it's, it's not often that people ask you about your opinion. So uh, I, I wanted to I wanted to kind of – get to a place where I could write about things and research things in football that interested me. And, and that's why I put, started put, putting together the blog and, and did a couple of the books because, you know, when you're breaking down film on a weekly basis, you're, you're doing a lot of, uh, you're breaking down a lot of games at once. 
and it's more of an automatic uh, process, mechanical process. You don't really get to sit there and think about why teams are doing what they're doing uh, because you have so many other things to get to. So it's really just uh, anything that I put out is really, you know, something that interested me, and hopefully uh, somebody else can get something out of it. Well, forgive me for not thanking you for joining us, but uh, obviously we're we're honored to have you and uh, a big fan of your work. And if you want to truly thank somebody for getting your book in front of my eyes, you can thank uh, Emery Hunt over at uh, footballgameplan.com. He tweeted a picture of that Chip Kelly book, and I'm just like, oh, what? What is this? I need to get my hands on this. <laughs> so you can uh, you can thank Emery there, uh, and uh, obviously I know of Emery because of his amazing book too. So, uh, but. Uh, Emory is on my future future podcast wish list. Uh, did, we did have Gene Clemens on a few months back to talk about their book. But, uh, uh, yeah, big thanks to Emory for, for helping me out and help, helping you out, too, because I, I love the Kelly, the Kelly book. I just It just makes so much sense. And, uh, was that, is that your first book? That, that was my first book, yeah. It was, it was a learning process in a lot of ways. Obviously, just the whole, you know, process of going through that offense uh, i i've had a little bit of experience watching it you know obviously in oregon but to sit down and really investigate it the way you would an opponent you're going to play it was an awesome experience and also just the process of put, putting together a book that was my first time and and since then i put together a few new projects and so I, I i feel like i'm getting better each time i put something out you know i'm putting a little bit crisper of a product together but uh so far the reaction has been mostly good so uh, i'm pretty happy with it well, it's quite quite the first. Um, but you also have a, a new book out, and that's kind of why we had you come on today. Why don't you tell us about that? Well, my latest book uh, is a is a play by play breakdown of the Super Bowl, and it's literally every single play drawn up, analyzed. I've even got the special teams plays in there uh, for those for people who want to look at that stuff. Uh, we, I, I wanted to do it because it's it's the same type of principle, you know. I, there, there are plenty of people who break down a particular play, and that's really interesting. You know, whenever whenever I see something on TV, I want to know how it works. But the thing that's always been interesting to me is why do coaches call specific plays in specific situations? You know, why, why are they calling plays in a certain order? Because as I'm sure you know, a lot of coaches at this point uh, in the professional and even college level script a lot of their plays early on, on in the game so they can get certain looks, answer certain questions, and figure out how the, the defense is going to play them as the game goes on. So I really wanted to go in and, and investigate for myself, you know, why teams did that, why teams do things in the order they do, what are they looking at, what are the kinds of things they're, they're talking about on the sidelines in between drives and at halftime. I really wanted to try and do my best to get inside the head of, of a guy like Bill Belichick or Pete Carroll. And obviously, um, at the end of the day, the motivational part of it, why they did something, at the end of the day, that's that's obviously a little bit of guesswork. But I feel like I was able to come up with some really good reasons why the team did what they did, and I, it, it kind of, it kind of builds off the last one that I did. I also did a similar style book uh, where I broke down every play of the national championship game between Oregon and Ohio State. But I I feel like I I kind of went above and beyond in the most recent one with uh, New England and Seattle. Uh, yeah, that's something that's always even as a kid the when they talked about you know the first. 10 to 15 plays scripted that really never made a lot of sense to me but you uh, you bring up a good point about how you're gonna you know you're kind of exposing the defense you're going to see kind of uh looks that they're going to give you throughout the day but uh i always thought oh gosh so much of that depends on situation uh but 
Uh, obviously, uh, we uh, we got some some really good questions here for you about uh, uh, Mr. Uh, Mr. Chip Kelly, and uh, we'll get into some of the Auburn stuff here too. Um, I need to get those new books. So uh, every single play of the Super Bowl, obviously. Uh, <laughs> uh, and I've seen your post about the uh, the infamous uh, last uh, play. We'll say the Malcolm Butler play. That's what we're talking about there. I've I've watched those posts and uh, I'd be interested to see uh, you break down every single play because uh, uh, one play that always stuck out in my mind from the Super Bowl last year is is the Gronk touchdown. It's, there's some weird shift and obviously New England caught them off guard and KJ Wright is covering Gronk and you can you can see Brady's legs just like bounce with anticipation as he drops back. <laughs> Because he he sees the matchup, and I and I remember watching it on TV too. Uh, do, you, do you remember writing about that play at all? Yeah, I, I, I remember that. I believe you're talking about the, the long pass to Gronk just before halftime of the Super Bowl, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if I were, if I remember correctly, basically you're right. I mean, KJ Wright, the linebacker, was was out covering Gronkowski on that play, and this is one of the things that New England does so well. They've got a guy like Gronkowski who. Uh, you know, honestly, is not that great of a run blocker. He's a he's a big body, but he can be kind of sloppy in that area. But he does so many other things so well. He's basically a receiver uh, who who weighs about twice as much as any other receiver on the field. And so what they like to do is they'll they'll split him out all on his own side, all alone in at at the same spot as they would normally a receiver. And they want to see how defenses play him. Are, are you going to put a corner across on him? You know, like Richard Sherman. If that's the case then they'll probably go uh, to somebody else inside like Shane Vereen or uh, Danny Amendola. But if you get if you get in a situation where, you know, they're going to put three receivers to the left and then Gronk all alone on the right side, in that case Seattle wants to test wants to test doing those commitment to get Gronkowski to the football. Uh, you know, because a lot of offenses and a lot of offensive coordinators will, will go – we talked about the opening script a minute ago. One of the reasons you, you put together an opening script is to ask uh, a lot of questions to the defense but you also want to present them with a whole bunch of looks. So if I'm putting together a game plan on a Wednesday afternoon for that Sunday, what I'm going to do is I'm going to put a whole bunch of different formations in there, not only, but also I'm going to give the defense a whole lot of stuff to worry about, even though I might only come back to maybe about 30 to 40% of those formations later on in the game. It, it, it makes them think that I'm going to run a whole bunch of stuff in the game that I'm really not going to if it pans out that way. And it's the same kind of mentality. If you've got a team like New England, who can do pretty much anything offensively because they've got a lot of talent, obviously, on the field, got a great coaching staff. What a lot of offensive coordinators are going to do, they're going to show you a lot of different looks. You know, you've got a lot of teams that will put their tight end out in that exact same spot where Gronkowski is at, but they're really not going to do a whole lot with it. They just want to give you something to think about. Well, that's not what Brady's thinking because they ran, the, they ran a similar formation on the play before, and Seattle defended them differently, put a corner out there. This time they put a linebacker out there, and it was basically just a side adjustment. Brady just kind of winked at Gronkowski, Gronk goes deep, and it's a touchdown. I mean, he put it exactly where it needed to be. So it's all about the mind games, and it's all about, you know, forcing Seattle to have to cover the entire field, really. Yeah, yeah. Very very good points there. I'm just, and I'm not a defensive coordinator. I will ever profess to be one, but just I understand, you know, maybe leaving Gronk out there, testing them, you know, and maybe in the flat, but how do you not have Thomas, Earl Thomas, or Cam Chancellor protecting the back end of a play like that? I just uh, 
Uh, but anyway, that's uh, maybe maybe beyond my line of thinking. But uh, uh, let's get into the Chip Kelly offense here. Um, obviously, reading your book, you know, you, you have a couple great perspectives on how how this defense works with Michael Vick and how it worked as, with Nick Foles, who is obviously a little bit less mobile. Now the seemingly number one quarterback in this offense is uh, Sam Shredded Knees Bradford. How is how is Bradford going to run this Chip Kelly scheme? And, and, and is it going, going to work? You, do you see that it's going to work? You know, I'm really fired up about watching Sam Bradford in this offense because, uh, you know, as much as Nick Foles uh, was very, for the most part, efficient in that scheme, he, he had a lot of accuracy problems. And, uh, you know, part of that was due to, to a little bit of the patchwork offensive line he had to play with uh, from much of the first half of last year. But, you know, you go through the film the last two years where, where he really took over, and he missed a lot of open guys. He missed a lot of open receivers. You know, I'm going back. Actually, I'm in the process of going back and, and doing an, uh, a, a new project where I'm breaking down every single play of one of uh, Philadelphia's games from last year. And, you know, it's just you want to pull your hair out as a coach watching, you know, him either make the wrong read or just miss completely wide-open guys. And it wasn't an all-the-time thing, but it happened enough to where, you know, you can see why Chip was looking for a guy like Bradford who, who even though he's not mobile, he's a much more accurate guy. And the thing that people don't realize, the misconception is that Chip needs a mobile quarterback which is not true. I mean, Chip is not married to any one scheme. He doesn't have to run his own scheme. Uh, I think that's what a lot of people don't realize. So Chip is going to do what's, what works best for his guys. He's obviously got uh, one of the best backfields in the league right now with Sproles and DeMarco Murray, and now he's got a quarterback that, that can really challenge guys down the field. So I'm really excited to see what he can do. And the other thing is, last year Philadelphia had a terrible rash of injuries. It was kind of out of character for them or most teams in the league. So I think if you you know if you put them right where the average is, I think they're going to be a very dangerous team this coming season. Okay, yeah, certainly a lot of uh, a lot of question marks surrounding some of the Chip Kelly moves this offseason. But uh, uh, Nick, do you have any have any questions there for Alex? Well, you mentioned that uh, Chip Kelly's not uh, not married to any particular scheme. So do you do you think he did adapt his offense quite a bit when moving from the college level to the NFL? Well, certainly there, you know, as a as a coach, you want to take advantage of any personnel that you have at your disposal. And, and moving from Oregon, where he had a lot of speedy, small running backs, where he also had a very speedy running back, but he also had a pair of really good tight ends in Brent Selleck and Zach Ertz, you know, you can see a lot more of the of the two tight end personnel packages he's using where he did that at Oregon. So, Chip is going to find a way to use whoever he has. And, and what he wants are guys who are durable, Obviously, guys that are committed to his way of doing things, because we've seen, you know, him clean house, so to speak, with a lot of these guys who, uh, who just for whatever reason didn't feel like fit his scheme. And in the quarterback, as we just talked about, he wants a guy who's going to be accurate. He doesn't need a guy who's going to run around and necessarily make a bunch of plays like Michael Vick, although he could certainly use somebody like that. He just wants a guy who's going to make the right read, hit the open receiver, and knowing Chip, he's going to find ways to get receivers open. So you just have to be able to hit him. Uh, so it, it's going to be. It's going to be interesting to watch, but I think no matter who you put on the team, as long as they're a good player, he's going to find a way to use them, and that's what makes him and so many other coaches in the NFL great at what they do. Um, 
from a from a fantasy standpoint, one one thing I always uh, appreciated at what with Chip Kelly at uh, Oregon was the fact that he used um, multiple running backs, and obviously that is somewhat game flow dependent. But now you look at his roster now, and let's face it, Lashawn McCoy probably didn't have the best year last year. There was a lot of question marks about about him, and uh, and what not if he could be the workhorse, but now he's got DeMarco, he's got Ryan Matthews, he's got Sproles. Do you see that more of a becoming like a running back by committee, kind of playing to their strengths type of situation? You know, I, I think anytime you have a backfield as talented as that, it's going to be impossible for one guy to take most of the carries. You know, he one thing a lot of people talked about after LaShawn McCoy left last year was that he was not really a downhill type of physical style runner that they needed in Philadelphia. And if you really watched the guy last year, that's the case. I mean, he really did do a lot of dancing around. He didn't really hit the hole as much as we want a guy like that to do. So DeMarco is probably going to be, I wouldn't say short yardage because I think that kind of pigeonholes him as a fullback almost, but he's definitely a guy that, you know, on, on third one, third two, when they need a couple of yards, He's, he's the guy they're going to have in. Now, you're probably going to see some packages where uh, all three of those guys are on the field at the same time. It wouldn't surprise me one bit to see that happen. Uh, you know, you saw there were, there were several times last year where Chip had goal line personnel in, you know, three tight ends, two backs, and he lined up in a lot of shotgun spread formations. So he's not Chip is not married to any one scheme. He's not, uh, not married to any kind of conventional type of offense. He's going to find a way to get guys open and get guys the ball um, but one thing you can be sure of is as long as these guys stay health, relatively healthy, there's going to be big numbers put up by just about anybody on the field. Okay. Um, now, as far as uh, uh, Mariota, I'm sure you probably know a couple things about him. Uh, you know, people essentially assume that he is a product of the Chip Kelly system. Uh, do you think how, – how do you think he is going to – to transition, obviously another another big question mark, especially in some fantasy owner minds. But uh, how do you think that he's going to translate to, to face it more of a traditional offense? I know Wizen Hunt has talked about using some of the some of the Chip Kelly elements in his game to, to kind of help remain successful. What do you think about his transition? Well, I think there there are two things to take from this. I think first of all, the thing that nobody's really talking about, at least that I haven't heard of, is this is Wizen Hunt. Wisenhunt's second time around with a big-time quarterback coming out of college who he has a chance to really develop. You know, he had the same experience in Arizona with Matt Leiner trying to get him ready, and obviously that didn't really work out. So I think that, that Wisenhunt has kind of learned something from this. You know, Leiner was supposedly the prototype coming out of USC, right? I mean, he was he was the winner. Mm-hmm. He was the guy that everybody thought was just going to be a, a not necessarily a slam dunk, but there weren't a lot of questions about his game because he played in a quote-unquote pro-style offense. You know, as far as Mariota goes, I mean, I'd be lying if I if I told you that I I had a really good feeling either way about it. But but there's one thing I do know is that first of all, as far as using the, the quote unquote Chip Kelly scheme, right now Chip Kelly isn't using a whole lot of stuff that other teams aren't running. You know, the majority of his of his uh, changes that he's been making are, are more to the culture of the team, the way he's conducting practice. I mean, certainly you, you see his flavor in the way he calls plays and certain formations he uses. But for the most part, a lot of NFL teams, you know, including the Patriots, who won the Super Bowl last year, are running up-tempo spread passing and running attacks. 
So, and, and if anybody is able to adapt their style to new talent, it's going to be Ken Wisenhunt. The guy has, has been able to get stuff done with, with just about anybody he's worked with. But I think having previously worked with a big-time quarterback star out of college is going to help the situation for Wisenhunt because, you know, he saw a guy like Matt Leiner who supposedly had all the tools, all the intangibles, and it just didn't work out. Now you see a guy like Mariota who is, quote-unquote, a product of the system. I don't believe that. I, I think you're a good you're a good quarterback, you're a good quarterback. Uh, but there, there is going to be a little bit of a learning curve and adjustment. Uh, so it all depends on how much Wizenhut is willing to change and, and how much Mariota is willing to put in, put in the time and do what's necessary. And I think anybody who knows anything about that kid knows that he's, gonna, he's definitely the kind of guy who's going to uh, buckle down and study. So uh, at the end of the day, you know, you just got to wait and see. It, it, it's really tough to tell about the quarterback position, and I'm not going to sit here and tell you that I have a good – you know, good idea either way. You just gonna have, we're just gonna have to wait for games to be played. Okay. Yeah. One thing that totally impresses me about Mariota, and and I'll I'll hammer this into the ground until he's a complete flop as an NFL quarterback. But he is accurate, and he is accurate on the run. Which I mean, you don't see him throw guys, you know, leave guys out to dry or throw overthrow people. You just don't see that in his game. And for a young quarterback with, you know, a young, not-the-best offensive line in the NFL, I, I I think that's going to certainly work to his advantage. Uh, Nick, I think you had another question there in the quarterback realm. Is that right? Uh, yeah, you know, you've uh, studied both Oregon and Auburn. So I was wondering if you were advising the next once-in-a-generation quarterback, you know, like a John Elway, Andrew Luck type of guy, uh, and both Oregon and Auburn were recruiting him, which would you push him towards to best prepare him for both the draft process and actual on-field success in the NFL? Hmm. That's an interesting question. Um, as far as as far as a, the quarterback position, you know, Auburn does so many things that are just more of a quote unquote college style team Oregon because they really do run a lot of the style of passing play. Their, their way of calling calling an offense, putting together an offense, is just so different as far as the terminology and things. So. I, you know, if I had to choose, uh, as far as, you know, draft preparedness, I'd probably say Oregon, just because, uh, you know, the last quarterback that Auburn really had a lot of success with, obviously, uh, was was Nick Marshall of, uh, of Auburn and, and really had a, you know, whatever you think of Cam Newton, he's not a bust. You know, there's a lot of debate about Cam Newton, obviously, but he, he's not a total bust like a lot of people are pretending he, he is for whatever reason. That's one that's always puzzled me. So I would say Oregon. But like I said before with Mariota, if you're a good quarterback, you're a mature player, can make good decisions. I think you can learn any system. It's it's really about the player and his you know his commitment to, to learning what he needs to learn and getting good at that position. Okay, um, so shifting uh, to uh, since Nick kind of brought the Auburn in there, shifting to the Auburn, is it? Um, no, I, I gotta say you're you're doing great. I, I was just just soaking it up. I wish you could be on uh, once a week. But anyway, uh, the, is it fair to assume Cameron Artis Payne could have a, a rookie season much like Trey Mason? Obviously, there's you know a, a highly, a highly a player that's highly susceptible to injury in front of uh, Cameron Artis Payne up in there in Carolina. But uh, I mean, is it fair to assume that they could have the same type of year? And and how much does that Auburn system prepare these running backs for the NFL? 
Well, you know, running back is a unique position because I, I feel like the skills are, are so transferable between schemes. I mean, I, that, there's a reason you're seeing so many running backs fall in the draft these days. It's because teams are starting to realize that, you know what, as long as you've got a good athlete uh, back there, you know, and you've got a decent team, they're probably going to be okay. Uh, now, Carolina is the same one, the same team who put to – I believe it was D'Angelo Williams. They gave D'Angelo Williams a huge contract for some reason a couple of years ago. So it's going to be interesting to, to see what Cameron Artist Payne does, but I, I feel like there's definitely a lot of potential there if he wants to put in the time and if they want to use him the right way. Uh, Mike Shula has always been a, an inventive and, and a creative guy down there in Carolina in, in his previous house with his coaching career. So, you know, I, I don't have the answer to that. I, I think there's, it's definitely a possibility he could have a huge season. Uh, but once again, you're just going to have to wait and see how the how the depth chart shakes out and what they decide to do. Okay. Uh, Nick, did you have any more questions there? Well, just real quick, uh, um, getting back to New England. You know, fantasy owners have hated Bill Belichick for so long because he just, it's impossible to <laughs> determine what he's going to do at the running back position week to week. Do you have any insight at all as to uh, how to figure out what, what his game plan is? Uh, looks like moving forward? Uh, you know what? I, I, I don't, and I think it comes back to what, what we were just talking about a second ago. I mean, running back in that scheme is the, the way they use the guy in the backfield. It's so week-to-week with what their needs are. You know, they don't, as, as you pointed out, they don't have a guy back there, and that's the way they've designed it. You know, they, they've built their team around the passing game. They want a guy like Shane Vereen or um, – the other player's name is escaping me right now. A uh, guy like Shane Vereen uh, did, or even even a guy like Jonas Gray, they don't always need a guy like that, you know, where they can line up in the I formation and double tight ends and really pound the football. It's usually going to be a multi-talented back or, or like Garrett Blunt. That's the guy whose his name I was looking for. It, it really depends on what the needs are. I mean, they went into that game in the Super Bowl thinking that they were going to their, – their best option was to pound the football up the middle with Garrett Blunt. And it didn't work. It didn't end up working out that way because Seattle was just very stout on the defensive line. So I don't even think, to be honest with you, Bill Belichick knows half the time how that running back situation <laughs> is going to shake out because it really, it, it really just is dependent on, you know, the flow of the game and what they're, what is working at any given moment. Which is why, which is why putting together that play-by-play breakdown was so interesting to me because I wanted to see how they made decisions in personnel as well. I wanted to see how they made decisions, uh, who, who to put in, who to leave out, why they were doing it. So uh, I, I, I think that when you get into questions like what is, who is the running back going to be, there are so many variables that don't even come into play until the middle of the second quarter once New England really has a feel for their opponent that I just don't feel like I can give you a good answer to that. And if we're frustrated as fantasy owners, imagine how those opposing defensive coordinators feel uh, trying to prepare for all those backs every every time they have to play New England. So um, before we let you go, Alex, why don't you just tell us how we can get to get our hands on your books? Well, you can go uh, to Amazon.com and uh, just search for uh, my name, Alex Kirby, K-I-R-B-Y. And as far as uh, I sell a couple of the, the play-by-play breakdowns on my personal website, lifeafterfootballblog.com. And you can go to the product section and find everything you need there as well. So uh, a couple different places, but uh, but that's where you can find it. Okay. Could you say that website for me one more time? Lifeafterfootballblog.com. 
kind of a mouthful of words, right. I know. But, uh... That's all right. Uh, we'll make sure and get that in the podcast right up so everybody can uh, just click on that and go to there. So thank you so much, Alex. Um, I know we kept you a little longer than I had said, but uh, you were you no were problem. killing it, man. It was awesome stuff, <laughs> and, and hopefully you can come back and – uh, maybe I can. Maybe in the future I can say, "Hey, break down the break down this game for me." I know. I know you're probably a busy man, but uh, and you probably like, "Oh, I already did that game years ago." But uh, uh, but uh, <laughs> yeah, thank you for joining us, and uh, we we certainly appreciate it. And uh, you you have a fan uh, in us, and we're gonna keep reading. So we'll thank you and take <laughs> well, care. Thanks, of guys. Thanks, guys, for having me on. I appreciate it. All right. Well, that was amazing. Absolutely amazing stuff from Alex Kirby. Uh, just uh, I can't uh, well I can't uh, tell you how, how impressed I was by uh, everything and the fact that he just has the the guts to break down every single play of a game is just mind-boggling. I, I wish I had that kind of time and uh, I guess know how to even go about to do such a thing. But uh, if you haven't read the Chip Kelly's book or the Auburn book. Go to Amazon right there and pick them up. They're just phenomenal reads. Uh, I've been tweeting out various pictures of some of the X's and O's graphs in some of those books, and it's just uh, just really good stuff. So awesome, awesome stuff there by Alex Kirby. Make sure you go there and make sure you check out his website too so you can get those breakdowns of those of those games. So uh, we were doing some Dynasty Trade Analysis next. So let's go back. We're going to DFW 48 now. Uh, Giovanni Bernard and a third-round pick was traded for T. Uh, what, what were your thoughts there? Uh, I don't know. I mean, I guess I understand the r- r- rationing behind it. You know, Giovanni Bernard's a running back number two in Cincinnati, whereas T.J. Yeldon's expected to be the number one guy in Jacksonville. But I personally wouldn't do it, especially in a PPR league, which I believe this is. Uh, you know, you're giving up a PPR machine as far as running backs go in Giovanni Bernard, plus a third-round pick for a guy in T.J. Yeldon who's probably not going to be on the most potent of offenses and – you know, a lot of people have question marks about is if he's going to be a success in the NFL too. So I, I, I don't, I don't like the trade personally. Mm. And you know, obviously it's a gamble, and I know I'm not the, I'm not the man to talk about Yeldon. I, uh, but uh, I, um, I just feel like there's a lot, of, a lot of things going against him, namely the uh, uniform he's going to be wearing next year. But. I, as a guy that was super excited about Giovanni Bernard when he was a rookie, I I I can honestly say that uh, that uh, that uh, excitement and anticipation has certainly uh, simmered down, so to speak. And, and I don't disagree with this move. I think it's uh, I think it's a fairly even trade. Um, obviously, Yeldon's unproven, and and I don't like him anyway. But uh, my my thoughts on Bernard are really coming down to I. We have to, and maybe you need to remind me of this, but being a part of the DFW community, we uh, we do a lot of mocks with our our members and our staff, and I feel like every mock I'm in with Bill Servi, and I know I talk about Bill all the time, which is because I'd love to give him a hard time, but uh, every mock I'm in with our Mr. Excuse me, Sir William Servi, I uh, he takes Bernard, and I and I just want to know why he is so on the Bernard train. I, it's I, obviously, the guy's got experience, you know, that's what I like to say, enough experience to be dangerous. But uh, I feel like Jeremy Hill is certainly certainly tipping the scales for production in that offense. I think he could be a 60-40 split there. But he is 
he is all over Bernard in every single mock. So uh, uh, I just got love to get his thoughts on that. But I think it's a fairly even trade. Uh, another weird one here in DFW 48. Somebody traded uh, Gurley and Ryan Williams. Obviously, that doesn't really matter. But Gurley and Ryan Williams and got Melvin Gordon, Devontae Davis, and a 2016 second-round pick in return. Now, if you're giving up Gurley, why didn't you just draft Gordon in the first place? But uh, <laughs> uh, you're getting Devontae Davis and a second-round pick, so uh, maybe not a, a bad deal. What, do you, what are your thoughts on this trade? Well, yeah, personally, I would have taken Melvin Gordon over Gurley just because of the injury concerns. I just, yeah, I'd have a hard time spending a top one or two pick on a guy coming off an ACL. So, yeah, I love giving up Gordon, getting uh, giving up Gurley and getting Melvin Gordon, Devontae Davis, who, yeah, he may not produce much, but he is in the Philadelphia offense. So, nice to take a flyer on anybody in that offense. Plus an extra second-round pick next year. Yeah, I, I really like this trade. Uh, yeah, I think it's I think the guy that gave up Gurley certainly comes out on the the better end of it, at least in the short term for the next couple of years, you know. Gurley could be the most amazing athlete ever and just just explode, you know, next year, but uh that's still all remains to be seen. I think it's I think that's a pretty fair deal. You know, the guy that gave up Gurley is getting a nice extra piece in Devontae Davis. You know, we have no idea how he's going to be used at this point in, in Philadelphia, but uh I'm sure Chip has some ideas in mind for his uh, a guy with his type of size. Now, Nick, I I, I did fully realize that we skipped uh, best number twenty in NFL history, and this is a good one. You know, not a lot of people, but there is a a, a short list of uh, guys that uh, that are really good that wore the number twenty in NFL history. So, what, what do you got for us on the best number twenty? Yeah, you know, it is a pretty good list. Uh, let's start with Gino Capaletti. He was a five-time Pro Bowler with the Patriots in the 60s, 1964 AFL Player of the Year. He played a kicker, wide receiver, and even played cornerback as a rookie. Uh, next up, we got a couple more old-timers. Hall of Famer, Lem Barney, seven-time Pro Bowler. His seven interceptions returned for touchdowns is still good for 10th all-time. He also punted for two yards two years, but I uh, saw most of his work at cornerback for Detroit from 1967 through 77. Uh, Rocky Blyer has one of the most interesting stories in NFL history. After his first year with the Steelers, he was drafted into the U.S. Army to go fight in Vietnam, where he was shot in the left leg while shrapnel from a grenade hit his right leg and caused him to lose part of his foot as well. Rocky didn't listen to the doctors that told him he'd never play again. He ended up being a four-time Super Bowl champion, uh, mostly blocking for Franco Harris, but he also put up a 1,000-yard season of his own in 1976. Uh, you look at you got another Hall of Famer, Mel Renfro, who went to every Pro Bowl between 1964 and 1973 as a cornerback for the Cowboys, racking up 52 interceptions over his career. Uh, next up, we got another four great secondary members. Uh, Darren Cherry went six straight Pro Bowls, playing free safety for Kansas City. He was a three-time All-Pro with 50 career interceptions. Rondé Barber started every game at cornerback for Tampa Bay from 2000 through two, uh, 2012 three-time All-Pro, five-time Pro Bowler, and not many pounds. The guy was a playmaker. Uh, Brian Dawkins, <laughs> nine-time Pro Bowler, even went to the Pro Bowl in his final year at 38 years old. He had spent his final three seasons in Denver, but was better known for his 13 years in Philadelphia. Four-time All-Pro, and it's the Hall of Fame finally starts 
decides to start letting pure safeties in, he definitely deserves to get in eventually. But he's definitely not as much of a shoe-in as Ed Reed. This guy is a five-time All-Pro, nine-time Pro Bowler, 2004 Defensive Player of the Year, uh, nearly 1,600 interception return yards. That's good for number one of all time. And the Super Bowl champion. Uh, Ed Reed is an all-time great, no doubt about it. But he's no Barry Sanders. Barry was a six-time All-Pro, over 15,000 yards, which is good for third all-time, 99.8 yards per game rushing. That's number two all-time. The 1997 NFL MVP, he went over 2,000 yards rushing that year. Barry went to the Pro Bowl every single season in the NFL. You know, it's just a shame that he toiled away in Detroit. Imagine if he had gotten to run behind Emmett Smith's offense line in Dallas. He would have put up 2,000 yards every single season. I'm personally too young to have seen Jim Brown, and Walter Payton was in the twilight of his career when I began watching football. But to me, Barry Sanders is hands down the best running back I've ever seen and my top number 20 of all time. What do you got, Josh? Uh, yeah, it's pretty hard to go back after we talked about Barry Sanders. But just the creativity of how he made something out of nothing with no offensive line. Scott Mitchell as his quarterback. You know, Eric Kramer, I just, oh, yeah, Barry was certainly the man. And I I feel this weird pride that he didn't stick around to break that all-time rushing record, and then we had to watch Emmitt Smith do it. But, uh, you know, it's he just, he he never, the guy that is, I think it's a testament to him because he never put himself above the team. He was more committed to, you know, just, being successful as a team and doing what he could to help his team win. And that's really, really a commitment to Barry Sanders. Um, have to backtrack. We've got to talk about a couple more guys that are in the Hall of Fame. Uh, Cliff Battles played for the Boston Braves, Boston Redskins, and, of course, Washington Redskins um, from 32 to 37. Uh, he was actually the first player ever in professional football history to gain over 200 yards and uh, one game, scored three spectacular touchdowns in a division-clinching win over the Giants in 1937. Um, uh, he, and he was also forced to retire in 1937 when his salary was frozen at $3,000 a year. They obviously were, chose not to pay him any more than that. So uh, interesting salary number considering what we saw Justin Houston do today. Uh, and another guy... I don't know why these coaches have listed numbers, but uh, they do. This uh, this guy was a coach for the Washington Redskins from 48 and the New York Yankees from 28 to 29. Um, also the New York Giants. Uh, his name is Ray Flaherty. Uh, listen to this combined record now. His coaching career from 36 to, to uh, 48, but uh, his coaching record was a com- – Filed 80 wins, 37 losses, and just in five ties. Uh, that's a pretty, uh, pretty awesome, uh, awesome uh, record there. Uh, his two platoon system with one rushing and one passing unit also also was a Flaherty first. Apparently, he had different uh, whole different units for uh, rushing and whole different units for passing. Obviously, there's certainly game plans, or maybe squashed that now, but. Uh, uh, certainly some interesting things there. Uh, he also played end for the uh, Los Angeles Wildcats um, of the AFL. I'm not sure what kind of AFL that was there in the 20s and 30s, but uh, interesting name there. Uh, Lem, stole my thunder in the Lem Barney. Did you get? Did you do Mel Renfro, Nick? I didn't. Uh, I did touch yeah. on Mel Renfro. Yep. Yep. 
Yeah, Mel Rumpro, another another great guy. Ten, ten Pro Bowl bursts in his first ten years. Five All Pros, uh, seven All Conference. Uh, yeah, great player there. But yeah, obviously that discussion just ends with Barry Sanders. Uh, most of you people out there listening have obviously had uh, the pleasure to watch him. And if, and if you don't, please go to game film because it was just uh, it was just such an amazing thing. It's just like. You, even if you were, a, you know, a Packers fan or a Vikings fan, and you maybe hated to play the Lions because of him, but just, just like a guy like Elway, you just have to respect the type of player he was. Absolutely amazing player. Um, let's get to some DFW, excuse me, fringe IDP. Now, I throw out a list of names here, and the, and I compiled this list of guys that were either available in a lot of my leagues after after rookie drafts or startups or um, guys that went uh, very late. And a lot, of, a lot of them didn't necessarily make sense to me. Some of them made a little more sense than the others. But uh, So the list here I got for you, I, this is fringe IDP guys that uh, if you're looking for a linebacker, might be available in your league. Uh, Mason Foster, uh, an inside linebacker, moved from Tampa to Chicago, not, not a – prototypical 120 tackle type of guy, but a nice stay at home talent who's not going to, you know, maybe better, a little bit better of an NFL player than an IDP player, but certainly a guy that's uh, going to get his tackles. Uh, to hear Whitehead, now there's been some controversy if Whitehead's going to take over, take over an outside linebacker position or back up all the linebacker positions in uh, Detroit. He's a guy that I really like. He's very young, a couple years of experience, and I think he's got a nice future ahead of him. And I think he can easily beat out second-year man Kyle Vinoy, who's also on the list uh, as as a starter there in Detroit. I don't think Vinoy has earned anything there yet, and Whitehead is just a, a, a physical specimen that, that could do a lot of damage there. Uh, Derek Morgan, uh, he's in Tennessee. Brian Cushing, obviously a big, huge uh, injury history there, and he's certainly trending down right now. Uh, Sam Barrington is a guy that looks to be uh, one of the men in the middle there for Green Bay, but uh, nobody really wants to say it for sure if he is. Obviously, it appears that way. Uh, Carl Bradford is also in camp, a guy that did not play a single snap last year for Green Bay because they've converted him to outside linebacker, inside linebacker. So he's possibly another name to watch. Uh, Kevin Minter, a guy that's going to be filling in for uh, uh, the last, First name escapes me, but uh, somebody named Washington in Arizona. Uh, he's gonna be another guy in the middle. You know, in these middle linebackers, you have to really look at them because these are the guys that make the you know the 80 to 100 tackles. Uh, Chad Greenway, obviously getting up there in age. Another guy that's trending down. There. You mentioned uh, Kyle Vinoy. Any any thoughts on those players, or maybe a top priority of of those guys, Nick, that you might go after if you needed a, a linebacker? Uh, well, I didn't rank them, but I will give you my thoughts on them. I start with Mason Foster, former third-round pick by Tampa Bay. He signed a one-year deal with Chicago this offseason. He had kind of a down year last year, only 62 tackles in 10 games. The guy's not great, but I definitely think he's uh, rosterable for IDP leagues, uh, as he's probably going to be one of the starting inside linebackers in the Bears' new 3-4 scheme. And he's only 26 years old and had over 100 tackles both in 2012 and 2013. Uh, Tahir Whitehead, he was a 2012 fifth-round pick, played pretty well at middle linebacker last year 
you're replacing the injured Stephen Tollick. Now uh, I think he's likely going to be playing on the strong side linebacker as long as he beats out Kyle Van Noy, who he mentioned, uh, which I think he will, at least on first and second downs. I don't know if he's much of a pass rusher. He's got zero sacks in his three seasons. So, you know, I wouldn't trust him in a sack-heavy scoring league, but he's definitely a viable option in standard IDP leagues, especially given his versatility. He can play all three linebacker positions there. Uh, Derek Morgan, he's from former first-round pick. He's only 26 years old and has a new four-year, $27 million contract. With Brian Arakpo demanding attention from the other side of the field, that could free up Morgan a little bit more than he has been in the past. He's had six to six-and-a-half sacks each of the last three years. Maybe we could see ten sacks as his ceiling, but, you know, he's never going to be a 100-tackle guy. 63 tackles last year is uh, his career high. Uh, moving on to Brian Cushing, he's, well, it's hard to believe he's only going to be 28 years old this year. It seems like he's been around a lot longer than that. He did play 14 games last season after only 12 games uh, in 2012 and 2013 combined. Uh, he racked up 72 tackles last year. He's not going to put up numbers uh, again like he had in 2009 or 2011 where he had over 120 tackles each of those years. But if the injury woes are behind him, he's still young enough to contribute. And I think Vince Wilfork's presence there could help him out a little bit as well. Uh, rookie um, the Dark McKinney is probably the better option, but both should probably be on the field this year in the 3-4 scheme that they run there. Sam Barrington is a former seventh-round pick. He started seven great seven games for Green Bay last season, uh, got six, 66 tackles, and I, I think he's expected to start this year. He's not as big of a name as some of the other guys we're discussing, but I do like his upside. Uh, you know, you got Clay Matthews and the rookie Jake Ryan also vying for time at the two inside linebacker spots there, so he's not a sure thing, but I do think he'll get the starting nod over the rookie uh, Jake Ryan for this year anyway. Uh, Kevin Minter, he's a second-round pick in 2013. He's definitely been a big disappointment so far. Only five starts and under 50 total tackles in his two seasons. But you got to remember that last year he played through a pectoral tear. And with Larry Foote retired and uh, Daryl Washington still suspended, the opportunity should be there for Minter to finally realize his potential in Arizona. Chad Greenway, he's been a great IDP guy for a long time, but now he's 32 years old and his numbers slipped last year. He did miss four games after not missing a game in seven prior years, but his play slipped as well. Uh, Pro Football Focus actually graded him as Minnesota's worst defender last season. Out of all the players that we're discussing, he's probably the one I'm the lowest on. And then finally, Kyle Van Noy, uh, second-round pick last year, missed half the season, only finished with six tackles. Uh, likely he's going to be behind Whitehead, Stephen Tulloch, and DeAndre Levy. I would definitely not count on him this year, and I'd be, have to be pretty hard-pressed to roster him. I guess in deeper leagues he's stashable, especially in a sack-heavy scoring leagues. You know, you got to remember uh, pass rushers usually take some time to develop, but definitely not a guy you can count on this year. Uh, yeah, and, and I thought it was important to go there because a lot of these guys, like I said, are inside linebackers. So there's the potential, you know, the 80 to 100 tackle, like I said before. And if you're, you know, if you're some of these names are catching you by surprise, the, the IDP leagues that DFW is associated with are, are pretty, pretty deep. You know, we're like one to one to two defensive tackles, one to two, you know, two to three defensive ends, three to five linebackers, you know, one one to two corners two to three safeties, that type of thing. So that's why if some of these names are catching you by surprise, uh, that's, that's why we're, we're in that realm. We're not, we're not, uh, you know, I, I've been in leagues where you use six. I've been in leagues where you use one, but we're, 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 we're in it, in it deep over here. If you want, I guess you could say, uh, you can translate that however you want. I uh, enlisted some help with some of our IDP guys. So this is a, uh, this is Jay Liston. Uh, he, he ranked these guys for us. Uh, 
So at this point of the off season, I'm really concerned about. Uh, I'm really concerned with. Uh, I'm only concerned with home run upsides. So so this is so my my group is like this. He's going to go Barrington, Minter, and Vinoy. He he thinks those guys are going to have the, the the obviously the highest upside. Then then his tier two is Morgan, Whitehead, and Foster. Uh, I dropped Morgan to keep Barrington in in one league and Vinoy in another. Good good. Uh, Good insight there. Uh, then Cushing and Greenway, only interested in top linebackers. Uh, are my top linebackers are more unreliable, so these two are are safer plays. Not 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 to bad thoughts there. Certainly, um, you know, even though those guys are aging, they certainly have uh, have the ability to uh, to play. You know, and their experience should maybe certainly garner them some tackles. Um, I also left it open to see if they wanted to uh, throw a couple more names out, and uh, Tom Bradbury did that, our man over there in England. That's right, uh, with Nick in Hawaii. <laughs> and, and Tom in England, we have quite the expansive, expansive uh, staff here at DFW. Uh, but his number one of all these guys, French guys, is Pernell McPhee. Now I know he went in our 16 teamer, probably towards more towards the end. I certainly considered him, uh, but he thinks he's going to have a big year in Chicago, especially in sack heavy leagues. Um, Nick brought up that too earlier, uh, and I don't disagree. He's a he was kind of a part time pass rusher, so he knows how to do that at the NFL level, and uh, it's certainly a player to watch as he's going to see more snaps this year. Uh, Sam, yeah, so Pernell McPhee was his number one. Got Barrington two, Greenway three, Cushing four. So he too is a little higher on some of the guys with experience. Uh, Minter number number five. Uh, he's going to throw D Ford at number six. Uh, definitely worth a stash with uh, you know Houston. Obviously the news has changed with Houston now signing the contract, but uh, uh, definitely worth a stash because even with Houston under contract, Tom Bahali is 32 years old, so uh, Ford could certainly fill out that role and uh, you know. He was maybe a surprise pick by the Chiefs in the first round in 2014, but uh, like Nick said earlier, pass rushers take time to develop. Uh, so D Ford, another name he's throwing out there. Um, I I don't even know who this guy plays for, but another name Tom's throwing at us, Kevin Pierre Lewis. Again, worth his stash if he had the roster spot. So look into that. And then he's got Morgan Whitehead, Vinoy, and finally made Foster at the back at the at the end of that. So jeez, uh, I guess I'm a little higher on. A whitehead myself. I think I'd put whitehead at the top of that list. I just see, you know, where he's maybe an outside linebacker, I, I, and I, I think he just maybe has the chance. He's going to have the chance to produce, produce more tackles. I know he's not a pass rusher, but I think he can also slide into kind of that nickel linebacker role. I think he's got the speed and agility to do so. So, and I'm talking about to hear whitehead because I own him in the league. So I, that's a guy that I'm really putting my uh, putting my money behind. Um, Actually, he's of all of all these guys, he's the only one that I own in the league. So uh, uh, we'll hopefully get some more, do some more uh, fringe talent like that um, next week. I know Nick. One of the topics we're going to talk is uh, we're going to do like a top five backup running backs thing, and I'm just going to leave it open. I know there's some running back by committees out there, but we can certainly you can certainly translate that how you how you want to, but look forward to that next week. Um oh Nick is going to grade my sixteen team league team. So uh what do you what do you got for us? Or for me I should say. 
Okay, well, it broke you down by position. So we'll start at quarterback. You have Matt Ryan and Nick Foles. Now, Foles, he's probably a prototype backup. He's got high upside, but he's somewhat risky. Matt Ryan, very solid, just outside the top five, but he's super safe. He's got 4,500 yards or more and 25 touchdowns or more each of the last three years. Plus, he's got the elite wide receiver talent in Julio Jones. So I'll give you a B-plus there at quarterback. Ryan's only 30, so he should have at least four more years of elites or top ten anyway performances. Uh, running back, you got Matt Fort- Latavius Murray, Charles Sims, Devoris Allen, Zach Stacy, and Jonas Gray. This position was pretty tough to grade for me. You know, you got a 29-year-old Forte as your running back, number one, but who's number two? You got so many question marks. Can Latavius be a three-down running back? Same with Charles Sims. Uh, Baltimore and yes. uh, the Jets look to be three-headed running back by committees. Uh, Gray is normally worthless, but this is the best ball league, so you got to figure he'll probably have three really great weeks just kind of randomly. So, you know, while this unit has upside, if, if Murray, Sims, and Allen live up to the hype, it's so unproven that I just really can't go higher than a C-plus right now. And it'd be lower in a standard, not a best, not, not a standard as opposed to the best ball league. Uh, wide receiver Jordan Matthews, Larry Fitzgerald, Malcolm Floyd, Brian Hartline, Justin Hardy, Andrew Hawkins, Charles Johnson, Tyler Lockett. You know, I love Matthews as a wide receiver number two, but I think he's a little bit of a stretch right now as far as being a wide receiver one, especially with the lack of depth behind him. You know, you got Fitzgerald under 1,000 yards the last three seasons. Uh, Hartline and Hawkins are both Cleveland Browns, enough said there. Uh, Johnson's an <laughs> unproven seventh-round pick with a young quarterback. Uh, Lockett's been a run, uh, a rookie in a run-first offense. I do like Harding, though. And if Floyd stays healthy, that would help. But I really wouldn't count on it. I'm going to go a borderline D-plus, C-minus at receiver. Uh, tight end, Julius Thomas, uh, Jay Samaro, and Andrew Quarles. You know, I am kind of biased. I believe that uh, Julius Thomas benefited from Peyton Manning's system. And even with Manning as his quarterback, he never had an 800-yard season. And there's no way he's going to have 12 touchdowns again like he had the last two years. Uh, I love Jason Morrow, the player, but I don't like his situation in New York. It's brutal. Uh, he had 345 yards, two scores as a rookie. I think his ceiling would probably be 800 yards and six touchdowns, which that even could make him your tight end number one over Julius Thomas. And then Quarles, uh, you mentioned him earlier in the show. He's kind of a flyer, nothing more, especially after his recent arrest. So I'm going to go with C-minus at tight end. Uh, now we get into your strengths, your defense. Uh, defensive line, you got J.J. Watts, Derek Thornton, and Vinnie Curry, uh, Coney Ely, and a defensive tackle, Linval Joseph, Haloti Nada, and Michael Bennett. J.J. Watt, he's arguably the number one overall player. You got him at the number six overall pick in our 16-team league. Uh, the two Eagles defenders, I, I love Eagles defenders in uh, IDP. That They have such a fast-paced offense. That means the defenders are going to be on the field for more snaps than most teams. More snaps is more opportunity to score. Uh, defense tackles are really good, too. That's a solid A on your defensive line. Uh, linebackers, Stephon Anthony, Denzel Perriman, uh, Keenan Robinson, Wesley Woodyard, Paul Kruger, Tom Bahali, Christian Kirksey in Cleveland, and Zach Brown in Tennessee. You got two solid rookies, good but not flashy veterans. I'll go a B plus, and if Anthony and Perriman are both good right off the bat, this could easily be an A unit for you. Uh, in the secondary, you got Malcolm Jenkins, Calvin Pryor, uh, Shmarco Thomas, and that cornerback is Darius Slay and Jonathan Banks. Uh, I love Jenkins. He's another Philly du- Philadelphia defender. Uh, he had 196 points last year. That would have been better than your wide receiver or your running back number two, and it would have been uh, your top scoring <laughs> tight end or defensive tackle or linebacker. And that's a little bit skewed because you do have two solid rookie linebackers. But still, I, yeah, love Jenkins there. 
Calvin Pryor's move to strong safety should help him prosper both on the field and on the stat sheet. And your two cornerbacks combined for nearly nearly 300 points last year. Plus, it's a very streamable position if injuries were to strike. So i I got to give you a B-plus probably there in the secondary. Overall, short term, I just don't see a championship this year. You're just so young on offense. I really am not a big fan of your receivers. So for this year, I'd go probably with a C. But long term, I love your future. While uh, 2014's wide receiver class was one of the kind, I do think the rule changes have helped younger receivers contribute earlier. So I believe in, you know, two to three to four years, he'll have patched the holes at the offensive positions. Watt is uh, only 26, so he'll still be in his prime. So yeah, I'll give you a B-plus long term. Uh, overall, I'll, I'll go C-plus. I might have gone higher, but rumor has it that when I was uh, MIA, you gave my squad a B-minus. And I believe if we went to head-to-head every week this year, I would definitely post a winning record. So I had to give you lower than a B-minus. So C-plus. Uh, well, speaking of head-to-head, I happen to notice now we we are in another league together, but that is an all-points league where everybody plays everybody every week, essentially. So me and Nick have been, you know, podcasting it together, entering our third uh, third NFL season now. So we have actually never played each other head to head in a fantasy football matchup. Have you looked at your schedule, Nick? In that week, uh, we play each other twice because we are in the same division. But not only do we play each other twice, we play each other in back to back weeks. So week seven and week eight of the NFL season, we might not have a podcast. I don't know, but <laughs> that's what happens the first week. <laughs> uh, so there might be some high tension coming on, especially since I have to play Bill Servi the following week in DFW 36. But, uh, yeah, that should be uh, interesting as we play each other in back-to-back weeks, a little home-and-home series, if you will, like they say in hockey. Uh, yeah, back-to-back, seven and eight. Because uh, we're in the same division, we play each other twice, so we play each other twice a year. So um, I guess it's uh, podcast fodder for the ages, uh, trash talk, whatever you want to say. So that should be uh, that should be interesting. Uh, let's take a look at the New Orleans Saints wide receiving core. Oh, it's slowed down because it does seem kind of boring to me. There's not a lot of flash left besides, obviously, uh, I'll say the controversial Brandon Cooks, not that he has anything controversial. There's just a lot of mixed feelings on him. Probably the wide receiver one. You know, maybe him and Colston are wide receivers 1.5 together. Some other guys in camp with uh, Nick Toon and Brandon Coleman. What, what, do you, what do you think about this New Orleans Saints receiving core, Nick? Well, we'll start with uh, Marcus Colston. At 32, I believe he provides good value for dynasty owners who are in win-now mode. He's never played fewer than 11 games, played 14 or more games every year since 2009, and 900 uh, yards or more every year in that span. Right now, he's DFW's wide receiver number 67 due to his age and uh, his bad knees. He's not a long-term solution, but for this year, I think he could be a nice flex who can be had pretty cheaply. Uh, Right now, he's going in the 16th round as far as his ADP, uh, the that would make him the 72nd wide receiver off the board in startup. So great value there. Brandon Cooks, uh, the small but electric wide receiver from Oregon State, could be in for a breakout season after catching 50 passes for 550 yards and four total scores last year in 10 games as a rookie. The kid is super tough, but hopefully that trait doesn't work against him, uh, you know, taking unnecessary hits and whatnot. If he can protect himself and avoid injuries, we could be talking about him in the top 10 or 12 wide receivers next year. Right now he's DFW's wide receiver number 19, going about halfway through round three in startups. 
Uh, now, right now, Nick Toon is currently the favorite to be the wide receiver three now that Kenny Stills, Robert Meacham, and the tight end Jimmy Graham are gone. 21 catches in two years. He's on injured reserve his whole first season. But his 17 catches last year all came in the last six games. So he did kind of come on to the end of the year. Uh, given the injury concerns around both, both Colston and Cooks, I'm surprised he's unranked in DFW's top 100 wide receivers right now. And also at six foot four, he could end up being a nice red zone target. Uh, Josh Morgan might be the next man up if Toon fails during that wide receiver three job. 30 years old, he's a veteran going into his eighth season, but not a whole lot of upside. The guy's never had a 700-yard year, never had four touchdowns in a year. He's a good blocker, good all-around player, but he's never going to be a fantasy stud unless the position is just decimated by injuries. Uh, now we'll go to the younger guys. Uh, Second-year wideouts, Santavius Jones, who's six foot three, 200 pounds, and Brandon Coleman, who you mentioned, who's 6'6", 225. Both have been uh, impressed observers and practices this offseason. Uh, both of them were undrafted rookies last year. Uh, Jones from Valdosta State, Coleman from Rutgers. You know, given the choice between the two, I'd probably go with Coleman. Six foot six, ran a four five six four. You gotta love the physical upside that he that he could give you. And then you got three other guys trying to earn roster spots. Uh, Jalen Saunders was a fourth round pick last year by the Jets. Got cut before October even rolled around. Uh, the Saints took him off Seattle's practice squad when uh, Cooks got hurt. Uh, five foot nine, one sixty five. Only had one catch as a rookie. Uh, Willie Sneed, five foot eleven, hundred ninety five pounds. He uh, had 1,500 yards and 15 scores in his final year at Ball State, but his 4.62 40-yard dash led to him being undrafted. And last year he couldn't even earn a spot in Cleveland's receiving core, so eh, probably not going to make the roster there. Then one more guy, Lance Lewis, six foot two, two oh seven from East Carolina. He's bounced around from Washington to Dallas to San Francisco, but he's had no catches in the NFL. So uh, those last three guys are probably all pretty long shots. They also have a jo- Joseph Morgan and there's Josh Morgan as well. So just so you're not confused there, um, I don't know much about the Shantavius uh, Jones, but uh, I've seen him going at the end of a lot of uh, mocks. Um, Jalen Saunders, 165. He's, he's probably a kick returner, basically. Uh, Cooks, I think, I think we're going to get a little bit more into Cooks next week. Um, but uh, small guy, a lot, of, a lot of heart. We, we both loved him coming out of college. Can he be re- wide receiver one with Colston, you know, at the, at the end of his career, the twilight of his career? Well, I, I think he can. I think they're going to do some creative things you know obviously you know the you're going to be pigeonholed as a small receiver into you know with your your ceiling ultimately being you know antonio brown mr ab84 uh i don't know if he's that type of player but the kid is tough he is just rock solid tough as nails i i really like him i think he could be a very good dynasty weapon maybe going excuse me maybe going a little high in startups right now but you know, you go, you want to build around youth, and with the, that third year looming after this year, I think a lot of people are expecting big things out of him. Uh, Colston, great value, like you said, just amazing value. He's up there with guys like Kenny Britt and Mohamed Sanu, who I also love. Just just great values in later rounds. Just you know, guys that are going to get opportunity, and that's great. Uh, Nick Toon, I think. You know Nick Toon, don't you, Nick? I, I, I just I'm not I'm not sold on him. I know he's a big kid, but I just haven't seen enough uh, enough flashes out of him. I am very excited about Brandon Coleman. I thought uh, 
I thought we would have maybe seen him see the light of day last year, but he ended up playing on the practice squad a whole year. So, uh, you know, people are all over this uh, Josh Hill thing thinking, you know, they're going to do something with this guy uh, that mirrors that of Jimmy Graham. Uh, You know, maybe Coleman is is the guy. He's not – Hill's 6'5", 250, but Coleman is, you know, Coleman and Coleman's got an inch on him, uh, 25 less pounds. But, you know, what's, he's certainly going to be a little bit more mobile, I think, than uh, than Josh Hill. So I, I, I think we could see some good things from Brandon Coleman. Um, and maybe I'm just really hoping because I own him in the league, but I I, I like him a lot. Um, but, yeah, it, it's just a lot, a lot of things up in the air with this team, I think, that was wide receiver was something that a lot of people thought this team was going to address in the draft. Uh, they ultimately did not. So, you know, they, they're comfortable with, with, you know, maybe the top five guys they have being, you know, Toon, Coleman, Colston, Cooper, and, uh, Jones, uh, they're comfortable with those guys being, being their weapons. So, uh, hopefully, uh, we can see something out of, like you said, those two guys that didn't see a snap last year in Jones and, uh, Coleman, uh, but uh, Tune is probably going to be probably going to be the third the third receiver I would imagine just because of the experience level uh, as the season starts here there for uh, the, the Saints. Uh, let's finish up with some questions from the floor. Um, what would you give up for Mike Evans? If not, how close is this? I've been I have offered Mike Evans and Torrey Smith for. Jordan Matthews and pick one one 1.5 and Michael Floyd. What are your thoughts there, Dick? Um, well, personally, I'm just not that high on Mike Evans. He's got to deal with a rookie quarterback now. I mean, he's a good player, but uh, I just don't think there's that much separation between him and guys like Jordan Matthews or some of the other uh, second-year receivers. So I personally wouldn't make that trade, especially given the, that you have to give up an extra first-round pick to get him. Okay. It just came to me. Next week, we're going to, like I said, Ron McLeese is going to be joining us. We're going to do a three-headed monster um, dynasty dilemma, and it's going to be Cook. Benjamin and Evans, and I guess it's my turn to choose first. But I'm gonna I'm gonna succeed, and we'll let Ron choose first. So I hope I'll keep you in the loop, Nick. There, but that's gonna be good. That's gonna be really good. All second year receivers, because uh, you're right about Mike Evans with the rookie quarterback, and uh, you know he really had like two or three games where he really shined last year, and I think his value is certainly a little bit. Uh, Inflated. Um, another trade uh, was Brandon Cooks, another guy we'll talk about, and pick 1.4 for Mike Evans. What do you, what do you think there? Uh, same thing I thought on the other trade. There's just not enough separating Cooks and Evans right now for me to give up an extra first-round pick to make that trade. <sighs> yeah, and I guess, you know, from the flip side, if somebody's offering me Cook and one Cooks in one point four, I think I would probably do that because you know these well, there's a huge size difference. I think they could potentially have similar NFL careers. Plus, you're getting an extra first round pick. So, uh, yeah, pump the brakes. I guess is what I'm saying. On I guess is what we're saying on the on the whole Mike Evans thing. I, uh, he's, you know, rookie quarterback. Be, be wary. Uh, Adrian Peterson.
Peterson's value. What exactly is Adrian's Peterson, Adrian Peterson's value right now? I was just offered AP for my 1.2 and 1.10 and Christian Michael. I think that it is high, but I'm having a hard time coming up with a counter offer because I don't want to give up give up the second or second or fifth round pick. Any ideas? What do you think? Yeah, that's that's too much for me to give up for a 30-year-old running back, Adrian Peterson, who pretty much sat out all of last season, so there could be some rust on there. I, yeah, when you have the number 1.2 pick, you can probably get either a Gurley or a Gordon with that pick. Plus, you're giving up a later first-rounder and uh, Christine Michael, who, if uh, Marshawn's gone next year, could end up being the starter in, in Seattle. I, that's way too much for me to give up for Adrian Peterson. I know he's had a great career, but it's towards the end now. You probably only get to get another one or two years tops of solid production out of AP. Uh, yeah, and I you know, I kind of said it in our last podcast. Um, I, I think the whole Adrian Peterson thing could be more more of a mirage in fantasy production. You know, Adrian Peterson could potentially have six, 700 yards in this offense, but just the threat of him on the field is going to be do wonders for Bridgewater in that offense. Um, yeah, I kind of figured you would say that about AP. And, you know, if this this trade is happening after your rookie draft, uh, obviously, you know, you're not going to get the Gordon or Gurley next year. And we have no idea what those picks are going to be. So I just think there's too much, uh, too many balls in the air, so to speak, to make that trade. I just, I, I am not trading for, uh, for AP. That's, that's certainly the case. Um, and you know I'm not uh, I'm not in win now mode necessarily in my league, but I I, I just I, I'm staying away from AP. Some people are are getting getting on it and think it's going to be a good time, but I, I just I know I I got serious doubts about what what he can do there. So um, now last question. This is an interesting one, Nick, because in our 16 team league, you own Ben Roethlisberger as your QB one, and I own. Matt Ryan. So, uh, Big Ben versus Ryan. Ben offered Matt Ryan for Roethlisberger. Would you keep Big Ben or would you go for Ryan? What do you think? Uh, I would definitely, if you wanted to make this trade with me, I'd do it in a heartbeat. I would trade you Big Ben for Matt Ryan just due to the fact that Matt Ryan's younger. You know, Other than that, they're very similar situations. They both have an elite wide receiver. Uh, they're both in you know pass-first offenses. But just the fact that Matt Ryan is, what, two, three, four years younger than Roethlisberger and has taken a lot less hits over the years, I think, I would, I would prefer Ryan. Yeah, Ryan is 30. Big Ben is 33. So that's... Uh... I took I took Ryan in front of Roethlisberger in this draft uh, just because I like the uh, the situation better. Um, they obviously both have uh, at least a couple of very good wide receivers and uh, some youth in the pipeline, so to speak. But uh, yeah, I think I would prefer Matt Ryan too. Like you said, Dynasty is all about uh, youth and building for the future. Even if you are in win now mode, it's nice to so you can get younger and you're not really giving up much. Because you're getting, you know, you know, a top, top second tier QB in in return for your, you know, for another second tier QB. I don't think that's a bad a bad move. Um, you know, the, I, let's face it, uh, Atlanta certainly does not have the running game that uh, Pittsburgh has either. So you know, Rat, Matt Ryan could possibly outproduce 
Roethlisberger. I think Roethlisberger outproduced Matt Ryan last year. I meant to check on that, but uh, I think that's it's a, it's a fair deal. And obviously, there's a, a, if you have a preference, you have a preference. But uh, if you just want to break it down simple and be an ageist, just to go with, <laughs> go with the younger guy, I think that's a pretty pretty logical step to take in, in Dynasty. And uh, please, if you think we're wrong, tweet us. We would love to hear from you. Um, that is all we have for you. Next week, like I said, we're going to have our buddy Ron McLeese on for for a good long while as we uh, get into it uh, uh, deep. That's going to be uh, a whole lot of fun. So uh, any, any closing thoughts there, Nick? Um, no, just great to be back on with you again after a couple weeks off, Josh. Yeah, great to, great to hear your voice and uh, glad things are going okay in Hawaii and uh, try not to look at uh, – Best cleavage if you run into Doug the Bonnie Hunter and Beth. <laughs> I'm sorry, I don't know why I said that. That was uncalled for. But anyway, have a great week, folks. Make sure you check us out next week. A um, uh, big, amazing thanks to uh, Alex Kirby. Phenomenal stuff. We will have him back. I need to get the rest of those books. So, uh, yeah, that was amazing stuff. And uh, if you have any suggestions of stuff you'd like to talk about uh, like i said tweet us out or hit hit up a uh, dfw so uh make sure you go to dynastyfootballwarehouse.com and vote on our dilemmas and take part in uh, mr alan satterley's alan satterley's speed bump poll we should also have alan coming up as a guest on july 29th so uh we took a week off and we're coming back we're coming back strong so make sure you check it out thank you so much for listening and have a great week talk to you later nick yeah, you have a good one.